You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. Hosts Ken Kleinberg and Jocelyn Keegan welcome the Dish on Health IT's guest, Alice O'Carroll, Interoperability Product Manager with Florida Blue. Alice is an active member of the HL7 DaVinci Project and a leader in interoperability. Today's episode will cover the impact of CMS mandates and other policy activities on payers, the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare, the drivers and approaches for improving data quality, and last but not least, patient consent. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com or tweeting us at POCPHIT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT innovators and catalysts to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants. We work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as an independent, trusted party like Switzerland. I'm Ken Kleinberg, Senior Consultant and Innovation Lead here at POCP, and I'll be your host for this episode. My colleague and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, and I are excited to welcome special guest, Alice O'Carroll, Interoperability Product Manager with Florida Blue. We'll be asking Alice about the impact of CMS mandates and other policy activities on payers and why stakeholders should be doing more than checking the regulatory box, the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare, including some potentially novel ways AI could be deployed to solve some industry challenges, the drivers and approaches for improving data quality is something we should all care about from providers to payers because it will ultimately impact patients and outcomes, And last but not least, patient consent, why managing it is a problem we need to solve now. But before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to have Jocelyn briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's looking forward to learning from today's discussion. Joss? Awesome. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm Jocelyn Keegan. I'm our payer practice lead here at Point of Care Partners. Uh, And I really um, spend my day sort of devoted to the positive change and building out of interoperability as a reality in the industry. My focus here is really around this idea that we can bring together the tech, the standards, the policy, and actually execute. I'm super excited to have Alice here today. I actually get to work with her on a day-to-day basis on work that I do in industry, supporting the DaVinci Project, and she's been just a really great thought leader for us, so I'm excited to get an update on uh, you know, her thoughts on how we're making this uh, work a reality in the industry and um, and how Florida Blue is moving forward here. Thanks, Joss. Now let's meet our guest, Alice O'Carroll, Interoperability Product Manager with Florida Blue, Industry Interoperability Leader, and named one of DaVinci Project's Community Champions. Uh, welcome, Alice. Well, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Joss. I'm really excited to be here with both of you today and, and dive into some of the stuff that we're all passionate about uh, with interoperability in the healthcare industry. Um, so really just looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, could you start by telling us a little about your passion for healthcare interoperability, a little bit about Florida Blue and some of the work Florida Blue is doing to be a leader? Well, absolutely. You know, I came into uh, the interoperability mandate world 
um, when I started work here at Florida Blue to help us stand up and be compliant with the first CMS interoperability mandate, CMS 9115. And one of the things that I think is so unique about that mandate in particular is that it actually has CMS upending the entire healthcare industry business model. And we're going to talk more about that today, I know, as we go through some things. But understanding that there's this huge opportunity for us as an industry to make substantive changes that make all of us as individual patients' lives better and to make the industry as a whole better is really exciting. So that's how I wound up getting so passionate about all this because it's, it really is something that we have the ability to impact and make true meaningful change in our own personal lives, in our own family's lives, not to mention, you know, what we do for a living. Um, so that's part of what um, got me excited about this, getting involved in some industry work groups like DaVinci. You know, here at Florida Blue, we try to be um, very proactive in getting involved with industry groups to make sure that we align what we're doing that way. But that's really kind of how I got into it and where my passion comes from. Thanks for that uh, intro and overview. We're excited to jump into this discussion, learn more about your take on some of these big topics. Uh, and let's start with policy. Uh, been a busy year with new proposed rulemaking, and as of this recording, we're still waiting for final rules. Uh, what do you think are the biggest regulatory developments impacting payers, and how is Florida Blue approaching compliance? Well, that is a big question. <laughs> um, so, you know, really, it kind of goes back to what I just mentioned a moment ago with that first mandate that dropped a few years ago. Because if you think about it, these are all steps, right, along the path. CMS if you really take kind of a 30,000 square foot or foot view and pull back, they, this all started over 20 years ago uh, when CMS started with um, you know, meaningful use. That was kind of the first foray into interoperability. But that mandate, the 9115, was the next really big statement that CMS has made. And they didn't make it alone. They aligned with OMC on that. And then you come in, and right after that, we had the transparency and coverage mandate the 9915, which wasn't that great to mandate back to back, 9115 and 9915. Um, and then Congress came right behind that with the No Surprises Act. The, um, and so that was a lot for us as an industry to start absorbing and figuring out how to work with. And on top of all that, they said, oh, and here's a completely new industry standard of the type of uh, format you need to put the data in to have it exchanged. The FIRE, or Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resource Format. That is a lot for an industry that hasn't made any substantive changes in how it does things in a really long time. So then we have that fourth step of TESCA coming in, and then now um, the step right after that, the pending legislation um, around um, advancing interoperability in the prior off. And then you also have the stuff over here that's kind of also pending about attachments. There's so much for all of us to absorb and look at. We really do need to think about it as steps. I will tell you, I think it's very interesting that um, in that, that 9115 mandate that they, uh, they being CMS, pointed specifically to some IDs that have been created out of the Da Vinci um, uh, work that's happened. And I think we're going to see more and more of that um, as we move forward. So understanding, getting a grasp around just understanding the landscape of how much kind of business model changing regulations have either been passed 
or is pending, and also getting your hands around where there's similar but competing, like in the cost transparency space, right? Because in that space, not only did you have CMS, right on the heels of that, you had Congress Act. And then a lot of states have their own individual rules um, and regulations around cost transparency. That's a lot for an organization, whether you are a payer or um, a vendor that supports the payer. That's a lot to figure out. Where do we go? What do we do? Um, so again, being involved in, in industry work groups, Da Vinci, Karen, uh, AHIP, um, you know, the list goes on, is really, really important to make sure that you are hearing and giving you a chance to have a voice at how that regulation gets formed. You know, when letters are written to say, here's what we think about what you've proposed, if you're one little tiny plan or one little tiny provider or one little tiny uh, EMR uh, or vendor, your voice does not resonate as loudly as if you are one of the big industry leaders. So taking time to participate is really important. And that also helps you to understand and get the opportunity to hear the best minds in the industry kind of break things down for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the difference between just checking the regulatory box and uh, going beyond. Florida Blue, taking that philosophy of investing uh, additional time and money, what, what are your thoughts on, on why you guys do that? Yeah, well, we, we're absolutely doing it. When you look at, again, this is the healthcare industry business model being upended. So, you know, if you are a payer, one of the things that this is making happen for you that you have an opportunity to get value out of is the payer-to-payer data exchange. If you can figure out how to get your members, your new members, your existing members to get data from a previous, their previous payer to you, that makes you compliant, right? But then what? The value add is learning how to then parse and leverage that data to benefit your members, keep costs down, drive value and quality. If you are an EMR, huge challenges and changes to your business model because interoperability is taking down those walls. So how are you going to get value out of these new mandates, these new APIs? There's a ton of opportunity there for vendors as well. Um, creating value um, added modules that they can charge for. You know, and if you are a provider, some of these mandates are incredibly intimidating, but some of them are going to be complete game changers and actually reduce burden. So I know everyone kind of in the provider space dealt with the uh, transparency stuff first, where they had to, you know, make sure that they're I mean, no surprise, no surprise billing and that their patients knew what they were going to pay for things ahead of time. That just felt like a burden to them. But this newest mandate is going to afford them an opportunity to get data from uh, payers in a streamlined fashion that will be integrated into their EMRs. They'll probably have to pay a, you know, a, a fee to their, uh, for that value added module. But that's, before it was a one-off thing. That's a huge game changer. Um, the prior off APIs, that allows them to do back to um, true bi-directional exchange of the data. Massive game changer having all of that information you need on what is, you know, do I have to submit a prior off, what is documentation, what's the status, all right there in your workflow. Huge game changer. Plus, it's also going to be added to the MIPS, you know, electronic prior off uh, requirement. So, you can get some extra money that way if you're a provider. So, really, it does impact literally the entire ecosystem of these mandates. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, focusing on the spirit of the policy, keeping your members and providers in mind, better way to stay competitive and build trust. So I'm eager to get Jocelyn to weigh in here because uh, we at POCP and others, of course, are preaching the benefits of moving ahead of just the policy and doing more than checking the box. So Jocelyn, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's great to have Alice here because I think that she's embodying, I think, a lot of what we talk about out on the market. And I think Florida Blue is executing in a way that we really they feel strongly about what what is happening that is bigger than just those compliance deadlines. I think that there's a, there's a really important, I had a couple points that Alice got at it here. I think first is we started with patient-centric, which I think is super smart, but I think there's this pragmatism, right? That the patient doesn't want to be in, in the middle of a lot of these workflows. The patient assumes most of these workflows already exist and work, right? And it's not until any one of us are in the middle of an episode of care we at least know enough to sort of call ahead and make sure our data is there, right? Or or how to get the access to the information if we need it. But the average you know, patient basically gets caught in this world of their data not being liquid. So I think that this approach of organizations taking an outside-in look at what is happening in industry, where is the big picture headed? You know, this, this underlying tone of we are moving through really a, a generational change in the way we pay for care and the way that we... Um, address sort of patient needs in a more holistic way. You know, I, I think that you know, one of the things I've always enjoyed in, in working with Alice is you just heard her talk through, I can sit in everybody's seat and understand what the pros and cons are here because her experience from her career has has brought her, you know, to um, having sat in a number of those seats, right? And I think that that we're seeing walls break down between what is sort of a traditional payer viewpoint and provider viewpoint to how do we solve problems and share data so that we can actually get better patient outcomes. And so I think that the conversation is changing and smart organizations are understanding they can influence where that's headed and help drive it. And I think that that's what we're getting to see and you can hear very clearly. Um, I'd add on to a couple of uh, policy levers I think that Alice covered as well. I do think that, that FIRE is more than just fire. It's really about moving to modern commute, computing standards and the shift to application programming interfaces, right? We're moving to a world where just the data you need is available when you need it in sort of out of these document constructs, right? Or transaction, batch transition, tra transaction formats so that healthcare can work like all the rest of our lives. And then I think that, you know, the big lever that's helped drive that really is the 21st Century Cures Act. And I think that, you know, Alice referred to it, but this, the coordination and sort of thoughtfulness, I think that we're seeing from our colleagues at ONC and CMS around letting industry drive the the what, you know, the, the specific implementation guide, right? Not just fire. How can people solve problems in a repeatable, reusable way? And then coming in and aligning, right? So sort of pushing folks in a direction, but, but providing that lift to say, you need to do this. And oh, look, here are resources that industry is creating, right? We're supporting and we're helping go and do it this way. I, I just think is so powerful. And we're getting to see, um, you know, based in our day work and also in our industry work, the proof points for the organizations that really are ahead of the market in being able to get meaningful content, tools, and transparency out, not just to their provider partners, right? And reducing burden in a really meaningful way, but also improving an overall patient experience getting the patient, you know, sort of more involved where they need to be involved and then reducing burden of the patient having to be involved in workflows that they don't think they need to be involved in or assume already work. If it's okay, Kim, there's thing that I'd like to, to kind of tag on to what Jocelyn just said, but, you know, 
the, the whole leaning into being engaged with the industry groups and, and what they're doing. One of the things is in particular in Da Vinci is that it doesn't have just one voice or one lens that they're, they're approaching challenges with. They're bringing together all three. So in every work group, in all of the discussions that, are, that happen, uh, regardless of, of which particular challenge you're trying to help find a solution for and create an implementation guide for, you have the vendor, the payer, and the provider voice there. Because one of the challenges we've had as an industry is that solutions get made that work in a silo. They work for a payer. And I, and I don't mean for payers. Collectively, I mean a payer. Each payer decided to do things this way. Another payer decided to do things that way. Same thing, EMRs kind of have driven how providers have done things. So depending on which EMR you choose to use for your practice is going to drive a lot of how you do things, what you have available to you, et cetera. Um, so there's, there's a change here, a shift here. You know, just because you choose to use an EMR doesn't mean that everything that EMR does works for you in your office as a provider, right? So it's bringing everybody together and having the opportunity to lean in and influence how each individual entity does and then come up with something that works for all will be perfect for no one, but will work for all. And I think that that play that's really, really important as these business models in the industry start to get challenged is we have to reimagine what it is we're doing and move to what really at the end of the day that like Justin was talking about that is patient centric, right? Because that's what this is all about, patient. So let's move on to our next topic. Hard to go to a conference today without hearing about the use of AI in healthcare. Uh, certainly some... Uh, powerful applications out there, and obviously AI is so complex a topic, we could spend an entire episode talking about it, the risks, the ethics, uh, and so forth. But for today, I want to ask you to share your views on how you believe stakeholders can use AI to actually do some of the work needed to be compliant uh, with policy. Alice, what are your thoughts? No, absolutely. I think that this is um, an incredible opportunity for the industry and, you know, tying back to what we were just talking about, which is exchanging data, it's got to be in a standardized format. So, you know, travel the entire ecosystem easily. But one of the challenges we have as an industry is that most of the good stuff, if you will, um, is not in a structured format. It's an unstructured format. You know, I have a background of working in a provider office. I know that, you know, providers have a lot of pressure on them to get their notes done you know, within 24 to 72 hours. And what do they, they, they get so frustrated by clicks. They do the bare minimum clicks they can do and all the good stuff gets typed into the freeform box. So I think that what AI is going to do for this industry is taking that good stuff, unstructured data, converting it to structured data, and then mapping that into this new USCDI standard is where we're going to see some amazing transformations and availability of good, relevant information. Ross, what do you think of that? I'm going to stop myself because I'm grumpy and I've been doing stuff with AI since the 90s because I started in financial services. So I'm going to stop short of saying, yelling, get off my lawn like a grumpy old man. Because I, <laughs> I, I think that there's like a true, I, I agree with everything Alice just said. You know, in order for us, I think, to unleash the power of where AI can be applied, 
um, and where we can get better at unpacking this content. You have to have the data be liquid. You have to have the data be clean. You need the right information at the right place. And I think that the balance, and I think a lot of our conversation as we look at sort of what's in USCDI and what needs what more needs to be done and collected and available, I think we're going to be in this balance of understanding what data do you need to house and hold on to? And where do you just need to know where the details and all of the information is living to be able to get at it? And so I think we'll continue to have, you know, the desire, I think, for folks to use AI at scale across large data sets, but that really we're going to need to do the hard work first of understanding sort of what is that MVP of what needs to be shareable and searchable and, and, and actioned upon and cleaned up so that it can fuel those engines. And then how do we tackle really networked computing, right, about the right information at the right time and be able to pull the other addition in? That's only going to happen, I think, as we start to take these steps forward. And it's going to be more clear sort of to Alice's point, where are there specific places where you can apply AI smartly? And then where do, do we need to grow into cleaner, better, consolidated information to really get the power behind? I think a lot of the um, what's built into these learning models. I was going to say that, you know, the, like an analogy to use, you know, around AI, and you, know, you had mentioned just the, the financial industry, which, you know, I, I used to be in the financial industry too. And, and I remember like literally in 2000, they still had dot matrix printers that people had on their desk. That industry has, you know, leapt forward over the last 20 years in terms of things. So, you know, well, and, and others obviously way more than that. And, and especially in retail and, and online sales and all that. But the interesting, so we have some people who are like middle aged to like getting to be seniors in the life cycle of AI. Here in healthcare, uh, we're gestational. We haven't given birth yet. <laughs> I love that. All right, so you both mentioned data quality. Uh, let's dig a little deeper there. With information blocking rules and just improving interoperability generally, more data is becoming fluid, and uh, the industry is realizing that that old adage of garbage in, garbage out uh, has more than a ring of truth to it. But how do we change the habits and inspire uh, better data stewardship moving forward? Much of the data is being entered at the point of care, with providers already under this huge pressure and administrative burden how do you improve the data quality? How do you move that up in priority? And uh, specifically, I'll ask you, Alice, how can payers help that? So I, I, this is something that obviously we're really passionate about um, here at Florida Blue because of that exact statement you just made, garbage in, garbage out. And again, as an industry, we haven't done very well with this. Part of why we haven't done very well with this was a lack of a universal standard, right? Like, for a long time, it was you can pick flavor A, B, or C, and all of that is acceptable. But if you're using, you know, C and somebody else is using A, you can map A to C, but things get lost in translation. Um, again, the good stuff not being in a structured format. So, you know, again, that creates problems. So I do think that between you know, with 9115, where it, it made it very, very clear from an information blocking standpoint, both for providers and payers, what they were required to do, right? And the timelines in which they are required to now make data available is vastly different. I mean, providers now, you know, with, unless they have a policy, like, you know, you have your HIPAA policies on how you're going to work, you know, deal with, with something, unless you have a policy that says, our providers have X amount of time 
to review something like a lab result that comes in or imaging result, what have you, before you publish it on the member portal, unless you have that as a policy in writing, you got one business day. That's a huge change. It used to be like, if you never published it, who cared? Other than your you know, patients might be unhappy. And if you know you care about your patients, you'd do something about it. But there was no automatic, you got to make this happen. And then the payers, the requirement to have data available for third-party apps and other payers within one business day, clinical data of you receiving that data, and not just receiving it, but you have to take it from whatever format you received it in and make it available in the FHIR format. And then for your claims data, within one day of adjudication, that is a massively faster time frame than we've ever seen in the industry. So this in itself has, first of all, payers and providers have now figured out how to do that. So we know how to do that now. The next challenge we have and opportunity we have is did we take the opportunity with this first mapping of whatever format your data came in to fire to look at the upstream data quality? And that is where I think a lot of organizations have an unbelievable opportunity to make a difference to the industry as a whole is cleaning up their systems. Now, if the provider put junk in, there's nothing any payer can do about that. But as providers, they're going to start seeing this themselves. And this is also where we might have some AI opportunities, comparing what's in your record to what just came in and then enabling people, patients, to say, actually, this is what's right. Or a provider to say, oops, I coded that as the left knee, and it was actually the right elbow. And they can fix that. But unless they, because those types of things do happen, but unless somebody is that, that place, but that's how it can become evident of the good job and the fit that's already happened. But it's all about starting to identify and make sure that your, your data quality is there and your mapping validation has happened. And that's the opportunity payers have to start being value added there, whereas they can't fix what the provider did, but they can identify where there's a problem and then share it back to the provider and say, oh, hello. Yeah, you know, there was just a great uh, ONC uh, tech forum last week on data quality, and they mentioned that uh, organizations were, were better at the data that uh, they created for themselves than data they were creating for others. But as you mentioned, if provider is sending data to a payer and then the payer is sending results back to a provider and it's not helping, then uh, everyone starts to recognize that there's a loop here uh, that has to reinforce itself and it's to both parties' interest to do a better job. Joss, you uh, live and breathe this with DaVinci. What's your perspective? Yeah, and I would say I'll also very squarely put my recovering product manager hat on. I, I've always worked in data for my entire career across multiple industries, and I think everything that Alice is saying is spot on. Um, I think that, that when we look at these challenges, um, I think it's about sort of first use, initial use, different use, you know, in secondary, tertiary uses of information that we start to expose some of the challenges that you hear Alice describing. And I think if we take a user-centered design approach to this, if we really think about who is the end user? How is the data going to be used? We set ourselves up for success there. And I think that payers and providers and their vendors alike can help the provider team and the payer staff members um, and clinicians on the payer side and the patients that are using this data by creating better tools, making the tools smarter and easier in workflow for people to be able to tag things and to auto detect. You know, there, 
there are ways this happens and all of the other tools that we use, right? And I think some of the HRs are better at this than others. But I think to me at the heart of this issue, and I think this is true no matter what industry, no matter what client you're talking about, I think the end user, when they know the data is going to be used and it's going to be actioned on and that they're, they have feedbacks to say how they're doing and that they can see that information and see those errors, that that is both a training opportunity, right, inside of organizations to say, how do we get better to make sure people are using these tools consistently in the same way as we expect? I think that's important. And I think that the progress on USCDI um, and ONC is doing some really interesting work on a data set by data set perspective, creating this plus concept around C- USCDI to, to really get beyond sort of, you know, what can move through the technical requirements of having to be open and exposed, but people ahead of that happening can start to work on the terminology and the semantic um, interoperability. Like this field really means this, no matter where you're using it, whether it's fire or some other technology or a non-standard use of it. Um, USCDI plus, I think is a really powerful sort of way for us to get to that normalization um, of the different fire resources and and different uses of content out in the industry ahead of uh, the technology or sort of the standards advancement process catching up at, you know, every API where you can get data today so that we're in this continual improvement, getting better mindset, knowing that we're never going to get perfect, but that we're going to be able to progress so that we're having higher level contacts or expanding the content that we're able to offer by 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 just getting better by using using the data. Alice, did you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, I, not a lot to add to that other than just to say that it's, again, the focusing on the standardization of the data and using structured formats, getting as much of the unstructured stuff as we can into a structured format. You know, the thing about healthcare is there will never be a way to make a image, which, you know, there's a lot of diagnostic work that's about imaging. You'll never be able to make that a structured format because it is a unique picture in a point in time of a unique person. <laughs> so realizing that there's limitations on how far we can go with our structuring, but Picking the report that points to what that picture shows and turning that into structured format, there's a lot of opportunity here for us to get better and get better quickly. Um, you know, we might even be able to actually give birth in the next few years. Okay. I was just thinking with this data quality, uh, the value-based care is also a great path forward for both sides to, uh, to have a, a, a lot of mutual interest in improving uh, the data quality. All right. We are on to our last major topic of consent. And uh, it's uh, a challenging concept between federal rules, between state rules. We could spend hours. I'd like to know the challenges Florida Blue is facing with consent, what industry initiatives you're working on, uh, how you're getting others involved, uh, your general role of how payers can or should be taking in managing consent. So that is a phenomenal, like you said, we could go on and on about this. So let's, you know, we can talk about consent in a a few different ways because one of the interesting things about the interoperability mandates is the consent to a third-party app, right? Um, That was a brand new, like, whoa, what are you talking about um, concept um, when you think about HIPAA? 
is, you know, a payer being asked to share all of a member's PHI, a part of the USCDI version one data set, to a third-party app of which they have zero relationship with and really aren't allowed to have a relationship with. That made pretty much everybody in privacy and compliance um, have plenary. But we, you know, we worked through it. We figured it out as an industry. Consent has a whole new level now that that's happening. And then the payer-to-payer exchange, now we're going to be having um, the provider consent. So when you look at from a digital perspective, a payer's responsibility to, to enable their members to consent on when and where they're sharing their data, it's really big. So, you know, from a provider perspective, you just are letting your, your patient have access to their member portal and, and maybe share their data through to a third-party app from your practice. But that's about as far as it goes. You know, p- provider to provider, uh, obviously sign the consents that you can send all your claims to the payer. But those are all traditional ways of exchanging data. This whole third-party app has opened up a whole new world of how data gets exchanged. And it's also taken control away from EMRs because EMRs used to be the gatekeepers on how data got exchanged. So this is a whole new world for all of us to to think about and, and learn how to operate in. As a payer, we need to be very focused on doing an exceptional job of creating a good experience for our members in all these different areas of consent. Because if we don't do a good job of that, the data will not get shared where and when it needs to be. And that will impact value-based care really being delivered. You know, I'm thinking uh, you uh, you go to the bank and say, Joe sent me over here to uh, to ask you to give uh, give him all his money, and I'll I'll take it for you for him. Just put it here in this bag. Yeah, exactly. That's basically what it is. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, FAST just finished the consent discovery project, and we are going to be keeping our eyes very keenly attuned to that, and and we want to want to make sure that we stay involved with that because. Again, when you look at the industry work groups doing things, if any of the industry work groups figure out a better way to do things and they prove that it gets done well and there's a, a repeatable implementation guide to use, you better bet the regulators are going to push to that because you know you look at like the payer-to-payer data exchange, right? Which is you know, CMS is currently using um, their discretion to not enforce. Well, why is that? It's because the industry couldn't figure out how to find each other's endpoints. That seems like it's a basic thing, but it's a basic thing that the industry is currently struggling with. Consent is a big deal. HIP is a big deal. Payers need to protect themselves and make sure, and even if it's to another payer, you still have an obligation to make sure that you meet the intent of the HIPAA law, right? So figuring out how to have that consent between two entities is not easy. And so if there's a way to figure out that we can say, hey, you're trusted, because outside of having a you know a BA agreement, we don't have any of the tools currently at our disposal. So I think that this could wind up being something that'll be very interesting and could again accelerate adoption of a lot of the different pieces because consent is at the key of everything. Because unless they decide to, you know, throw HIPAA to the side, which like I don't see that happening. Consent's going to be yeah. something we have to um, make sure we do an exceptionally good job with. Well, a lot of work being done, of course, with uh, the tools to uh, to deal with access uh, with TEFCA, which you mentioned. 
You've got treatment and individual access services, which uh, isn't going to be the patient directly. It's going to be some likely third-party app uh, asking on the behalf. Jocelyn, Point of Care Partners has done a lot with consent, uh, thought deeply about it. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think that I think it's really important that we acknowledge, right, that we're in this bifurcated world, that, you know, for the most part, for the last 20 years or so, we've just asked people to keep the door closed, except for where there's a ton of legal documentation and process in place to open up the doors, right, um, between covered entities and their business associates. And there are, you know, there are reasons for that. But the the stance from a from a HIPAA perspective has been keep the door closed and when you go through these checklists, then we can open the door slightly just for you for specific intended purposes. I think the idea of patient-directed um, information sharing is a little mind-blowing, right, for folks who've lived and operated in that model um, for decades. And, and you know, Alice will attest to this. We have these conversations with providers and payers that join the community all the time about, you know, um, clinical data exchange and bi-directional exchange between payers and providers. You know, we are seeing people that are heavily in at-risk contracts with each other who have a shared goal to make data liquid, putting the contractual agreements in place to share data more broadly, and are often the people that I think are at the front of the pack of making that data available to patients for their own use. So, so what we have, I think, is this change that's happening between sort of the shut the door, armor the outside sort of mentality from a HIPAA perspective to how do we create something that is more semi-permeable, right? So the right information comes out and in with security, with consent, with identities managed. And we're, you know, you can hear Alice talking about it. We're standing up how to do that as an industry as we're building these APIs and making them available. Um, And I think that, that, you know, we're really, there's a sea change happening around those conversations inside of organizations and between organizations. And everybody's sort of on a different point in time in that continuum, right? We've got our, you know, ACOs and our fully at risk providers and their payer partners sort of have figured out how to do this to get to the transparency and the data sharing that's needed for both groups to be successful and to improve patient outcomes. And then we've got on the further extreme providers that are still participating and not allowing even payment and operations work to happen with clinical documents, right, under care quality and some of the early TEFCA solutions. So so we're going to slide, right? And, and, and people are going to get more comfortable with what we're doing. But there's missing components and tools that need to be built in. I think initially, you know, we'll see a lot of point-to-point progress, you know, between organizations that have agreed to hold hands and take these leaps. Um, I think that there's really interesting work around identity and the, the trust framework that Karen has created um, for people to be able to more sufficiently identify who they are and attest to who they are and who their trusted parties are. And, and I think that, you know, because it's people's health record, you know, once it's out there and available, it's not like a financial breach that you can clean up. You know, once your data has been exposed, it's been exposed. I think that we all need to be incredibly careful to understand how we live and operate in this world where, you know, half of it is mandated on, or controlled under FTC and the other is still under HIPAA. And I, I think our colleagues um, at CMS and ONC and Health and Human Services are understanding that we, we need to figure out what does HIPAA look like? in an API-based real-time data exchange world, if we really want to get to, I think, the sentiment of minimally viable data, what, it, what do you need to free at the time? And that that might be better to me more liquid about in smaller doses than what we do today, which is ship around huge documents that have way more information than the transaction needs. So I think there's a lot of learning for us to do as a community. 
Um, but I do think that there's also this educational process that I'm describing inside of organizations and with business partners to say, we have to really rethink how we work with each other um, and make that consent that we have received from our patients already as portable as it needs to be. And when they need to be engaged, make it easy for them to give us consent and not have consent be a blocker to this next phase of progress. Yeah. And, and, and that, that not having it be a blocker, creating a good experience, allowing the patient, you know, to control when and where the data and, 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 you know, choose where it is they want to, to view their data. Uh, you know, we're, we're working on a project that we're going to be, you know, releasing later this year that we hope really helps our members to have a place to better do that. Um, you know, and looking at, you know, further down the path, we are certainly examining, okay, what do we have to do to be compliant with 0057 from a consent process? And then what is an actual good member experience with all of the consents? And we have a lot of different areas in our organization participating in a work group because we want to make sure that what we build winds up being a good end user experience because without that, we will be shooting ourselves in the foot because it will prevent us from being able to do what we were talking about earlier is what are the opportunities? Well, if you don't get the data, even if you figured out how to parse and you know, leverage it, if you don't have it, there'll be nothing to parse and leverage and benefit your members and the value-based care ecosystem. So it's really important to, to stay focused on all those pieces. I yeah, as a consumer. Yeah, I, I would right. want to know what my level of consent was. <laughs> I, I think this is a really important point. And I, because we spent so, time, so much time in consent, I'm literally taking screenshots and sharing to the team. I just recently got a non-durable medical prescription for something that I had to give consent to the manufacturer for my data that was coming from the device. And the reality is, is today how consent works is you have to get it if you want to get the service, right? And there's no way for me to revoke it afterwards in an easy way or to manage who I've given it to and where it's going, right? Generally, the way that we all find out that we gave data to somebody that ended up someplace else is somebody tells us they've had a breach, right? So I think evolving to a place where you can actually own and manage as a consumer and a patient where your data is available and what data is available, I think is what we need to aspire to, right? Um, and I think we need to think about it in that sort of flexible way, as opposed to right now, which is you have to consent. You have to tell me you're going to pay for, we didn't even talk about cost transparency. You have to tell me you're going to pay for whatever your patient, whatever your payer doesn't pay for in order to even see a doctor in the first place or to get the service that's being prescribed to you. So we can do better. All right. As we move to wrapping up, we like to give our guests uh, one final opportunity for a point they'd still like to make or an ask of the industry. Alice? Yeah, I would just like to kind of wrap things up by saying, you know, I encourage everyone out there to get engaged, get involved, you know, give of your time and talent to helping the industry. You know, whatever your role is, whatever it is you do, uh, there's an opportunity for some industry work group, whether it's through an association specific to what you do, uh, one that's kind of more um, industry ecosystem like Da Vinci, like Karen. Um, there's so many different ones. Get engaged. You will get so much out of it. And try to get others in your organization to do the same. Make sure that it's not just business people and not just IT people. You need the business and IT partners 
to get engaged because while business is going to drive and IT is going to build and deliver, they've got to be aligned. And they, they're, what they're thinking about, how do I do this and what does this mean? If your IT area goes down this path of this will meet the compliance requirements, but then this IG gets developed by, say, you know, a, a Da Vinci work group, and then CMS comes along and points to it and says, you must use that. And then you did all this work over here that now doesn't work for that. You're now throwing all of that away. If you had been engaged all along the pathway, you could have built something that would be easily pivoted to that. Or maybe you kind of got ahead of the pack and kind of did that anyway. I just, the value that your organization will get out of that, it, it's kind of hard to measure, but that's what I would encourage people to do. Reach out, you know, point of care partners obviously has a vast list of all the different industry work groups, um, not just the venture, but others too, that can help guide you on, on where you can get value and, and have an impact and make sure that what does go into regulation makes sense. Jocelyn, final word? I swear I did not pay Alice to say any of the things she said today. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you there. There's a reason she's a champion. So I think that I, I think that Florida Blue is outstanding and superlative in the way that they um, have executed an industry on some of this thought leadership. And I understand that not everybody listening to us out there um, has the wherewithal to do things at that scale. But I think getting started is uh, important. And I think that if we look at, I would say, you know, to the folks that are listening to us, if you look at sort of understanding where you are at a given point in time, and then figuring out where you can get started, and acknowledge that this isn't just a technology problem. This is a business change management. You're really changing the way people are going to work inside your organization and how you work with your partners out there and your uh, members or patients, right? Depending on what side of the table you're at, often both now. Um, I think that it's important to acknowledge where you are and then what are your business priorities? And then how do those priorities map to this industry work and these mandates that are happening so that you can figure out where best to apply your resources and to be thoughtful about that, because um, this is human-powered work. I'll say this over and over again. And and it is through the real people doing and solving these hard problems in their organizations that people are really driving what direction the industry is headed. There isn't some pre-prescribed way, right, that this is all going to get sorted. It really is thought leaders like Alice and her team and our other colleagues that we work in with industry that are, are, are laying this blu- blueprint of how we're going to share data and work together for the next 30 years. Okay, in closing, I'd like to thank my POCT co-host and interop industry expert, Jocelyn Keegan, and to thank our passionate guest, Alice O'Carroll with Florida Blue. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. A friendly reminder to new listeners that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to pick up your podcasts, including Healthcare Now Radio. We also post videos of our podcast episodes, sometimes longer versions, on the POCP YouTube channel. And don't forget, even though the summer has come to a close, health IT is a dish best served hot. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at POCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 